0: We're in our third week of the series, One Month to Live, where we've been asked the question, what would you do if you only had 30 days left to live? Last weekend, we talked about the importance of living passionately. This weekend, we're going to be talking about learning to love completely, which is all about relationships. And relationships are like climbing mountains. Except here in Illinois, we have no mountains. So we've come here to Vertical Endeavor, where we're going to climb a wall. Come on. Hey, Ben. uh Tell me a little bit about some of the uh, uh, lingo that goes with climbing walls, like belay. What does that mean? What is a belay? Belay is basically the act of using what we call top ropes. Okay. You can start climbing, and I'll take up the slack, and then I'm your safety line. Okay. So if you were to fall, I would catch you and then let you down when you want to. Great. Well, we're going to be talking about the importance of the rope of acceptance. Now I understand it takes special shoes to climb walls. I assume that the shoes I brought probably aren't the right kind. Just kind of normal. Uh, not the these, best are my, ones, these are my these are my Skechers. Yeah. All right. Probably not the best. Okay. One. So what are the shoes I, I should wear? Basically, there it's a very sticky rubber. It hugs your foot kind of like a sock. So you get traction with these kinds of shoes. Yep. Okay. We're also going to be talking about traction in our relationships. How do you get traction? Yeah, which is very important. By the way, Ben, these look kind of girly for me. I'll, I'll stick with my sketchers, all right? Sounds good. When people talk about tethering, what are they referring to? Uh, basically, tethering is the act of being tied off or connected to something. Okay. So when they're climbing a mountain, like they'll they'll uh, tether themselves to the mountain, right? So a hard point, so they stop okay. at that point. Well, we're going to be talking about the importance of being tethered to forgiveness because great relationships don't happen unless there's forgiveness being offered. We'll take a shot at this, all right? Let me see if I can climb your mountain. All right. I hope you're good at tying that. I'm risking my life in order to make a point in the message for everybody listening. So take this seriously. And this is without the girly shoes am I supposed to have some kind of chocolate you know I have fear heights I think I reached the top okay come down let go are you sure can I trust you in the rope of acceptance okay. Gosh, that rope hurts. (laughs) All right. So if I can climb the mountain, our relationship, so can you. All right. Yeah. Thank you. That, uh, That wall was like six miles high. I had to have oxygen halfway up there because it gets so thin in the atmosphere when you're climbing a wall like that. I'm just kidding, believe it, all right? But uh, we had hoped to have a wall for you all to be able to climb today, but unfortunately the weather did not cooperate. So you have to kind of climb the wall vicariously with me up there. And uh, Vertical Endeavors was very uh, helpful to us, and I encourage you if you're into climbing walls, uh, like in a literal way, uh, there are some brochures out there on the information desk that you can pick up. And we had a great time over there and it'd be a great family experience for your individual as well. Say, so what does that have to do with the series? Well, we're in the third week of our series, 1 month to live, and today we're talking about relationships and relationships are a lot like mountains. It's a lot like climbing a very steep wall. In fact, probably the most famous mountain out there for climbing is Mount what? Mount Everest which has a peak of 29,000 feet, which is very, very high. And people train hard. It costs a lot of money. They go through a lot of work. And they literally risk their lives to get to the top of that peak because it's extremely dangerous. In fact, even before you get to the peak, at 26,250 feet, you enter into what is known as the death zone. And it's called a death zone because when you get in there, the uh, environment is so difficult, you're so tired, you're so uh, exhausted, now there's not enough oxygen in the atmosphere, and you literally have to breathe, you have to have an assist, you have to have a, a bottle of oxygen with you to breathe, and you only have so much time to get your climb done, and some people die in the death zone. That's why it's called the death zone. In fact, back in May of 2006, there was someone climbing, and they were in the death zone, and they got disoriented, and they ran out of air, and, and they just had to stop. And there were other climbers who were climbing up, and as they were climbing up, they knew this person was in trouble, but none of them stopped to the help because they all believed somebody else would. And that person died on Mount Everest. Not the only person who's ever died on Mount Everest. Sometime later, a, a fellow by the name of Lincoln Hall was climbing up Mount Everest, and he got into the death zone, and something similar happened to him. He just ran out of energy, and ran out of juice, and just couldn't move any further, and, and just sat there. And a group of climbers are coming up, four climbers and 11 Sherpas. That's the name for the locals in the area who helped the climbers. And they stopped. And they abandoned their quest for the summit. All that work, all that money, all that training, all that time, they just put it aside. And as a team, they rescued this man and brought him down the mountain where he fully recovered. Now, what's the difference between the first group and the man in 2006 and the group that rescued Lincoln Hall? Two words. The first group was selfish. The second group was unselfish. The first group couldn't get over the fact that they, they had to get to the peak. Those climbers just had to make their goals. Somebody else will help them. The second group came by and said, you know what? We put a lot of money and effort into getting up to that peak. We're almost there, but we will throw that aside because we can't let this person die. We cannot let this person down. And you know, there's nothing that destroys relationships more than selfishness. There's nothing that destroys relationships more than a fierce sense of individualism and independence. So as we talk about learning to love completely, we're going to talk about how to strengthen our own relationships. And every week in this series, we've been asking the question... What would I do if I only had 30 days left to live? And we've been using these huge hourglasses as a reminder to us that our time is running out. And this morning, I want to change the question a little bit. I want you for just a minute to think about the people that you love. Your parents, your friends, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, your children. I just want you to kind of get a mental image of them in your mind. Because I want to ask a different question this morning. And the question is this. What would you do, because some of our lives run out quickly, what would you do if, if your friend, your spouse, your children, your parent, what if they only had 30 days left to live? What would you do? That kind of changes things a little bit, doesn't it? What if that person you care so much about only had 30 days left to live? How many of you are married? Let me see you raise your hand. Your spouse is with you. All right? I want you to just grab your spouse's hand right now. What would you do if he or she only had 30 days left to live? How many of your parents? Let me see your hands. All right? What would you do if your child, one of your children, only had 30 days left to live? You students, what if your parents or your friend that you know and care about only had 30 days left to live how would it change your life see i think answering that question can change our relationships don't you it can change our marriages it can change our friendships it can change our families it could actually have a very transforming effect on on the whole world around us couldn't it when we talk about when we talk about our relationships changing we're talking really about love aren't we And I want you to turn with me to a passage that talks about God's love for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter um, 1 and verse 18. So take your Bibles out and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. In that passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul makes this very big statement. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. In other words, for those who reject it. The, the message of the cross, what it stands for, is foolish. To the Greeks, it, it didn't make sense that, that a God dies. To the Jews, it didn't make sense that the Messiah would die. There's no power in that. It was a weak message to them. But Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, to us who are affected by the cross, who believe in what was done on the cross, he says, it is the power of God. Let's read it aloud together on the New Living Translation. Ready? Let's read it aloud. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Now in what sense is the message of the cross the power of God? In the sense that it is the demonstration of God's love. Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. He died and took our place. He took our place and died our death for us. He took our sins on himself so we could be forgiven and accepted and loved by God. Isn't that a wonderful story? And That's a true story for each of us. And in doing that, God demonstrated his love for us. And how was that love demonstrated for us? By him sacrificing his life for us. I mean, that's the biggest Biggest way you can demonstrate love is when you sacrifice yourself for another person. For another person. And that's what Jesus did for each one of us because he loves us so much. And that's, you know, that's what it means to love. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, he what? He gave. Love gives. Love gives. Love gives. Does not take away. I want you students to remember that as as you guys start thinking about relationships someday, or you know, finding a spouse or getting married or whatever it is, however far down the line that is for you, make sure that when you find somebody that you think you love and it says they love you, ask yourself, do they give or do they take from me? And if all they ever do is take from you, you know they don't love you. People who take from you are using you. Are using you. They're not really loving you. Love gives and doesn't require anything back. Now the big question is how many of us really feel loved, right? How many of us really feel loved if love is giving and not and not taking? Well, I want us to talk about how we can enjoy a loving relationship, but in order for us to do that, I, I want I want us to learn that there's a hindrance to relationships. There's a death zone that we all go through In the ascent toward summoning true, strong, loving relationships. And you gotta be careful you don't get trapped in the death zone. Alright? So, write this down if you don't mind. First, death zone, we're gonna call it the death zone of misunderstanding. The death zone of misunderstanding. You know, it's interesting when you first start a relationship with somebody, it could be with a friend, it can be a boyfriend, it could be a girlfriend, it could be a husband, it could be your wife that you're dating, it could be your kids are born. Uh, when my, when my uh, oldest two, Ben and Bethany, were, were born, and, and they were really young little toddlers, I thought I, thought I was going to write a, a book on parenting because they were so easy to parent. I thought, this is very easy. And yeah, I'm going to put Dotson out of business. I've got this figured out. I'm going to just write down all the things that I'm teaching these kids because they got along so well. I thought, this is great. And then one day they woke up. And I don't know if a spider bit them or what happened, but all of a sudden they did not get along so easily. You ever notice how true that is to relationships? You first meet somebody and you say, ah, I like this person and they like me and we hang out and we have fun and we do all this stuff together. But have you ever noticed that if you keep hanging out over time, pretty soon you realize you start to rub each other a little bit the wrong way? How many of you married folk would say amen to that? It happens. Yeah right? Especially as we go the winter season, we're all cooped up, right? Honey, could you go shovel some snow for about a day? Right? You know, we start to rub on each other because we're so, you know, we, we're different, right? We do things differently. We say things differently. I just had a recent experience with this. I got a chance to go see my little granddaughter this week for a day. And uh, I have uh, 60 pictures I want to share. it now. And, um, and I hadn't, I hadn't seen my, my, my wife for some time because she's been down there helping out. And, um, You know, male-female differences, you know, the misunderstandings we have. I'm a little unusual as a a guy in the sense that I'm not into, I'm not whatever brain it is where I have to see all the facts. You know, some people got to see all the facts, the logical stuff. I just look at it. If it looks good enough, that's fine for me. My wife, on the other hand, is very logical and very factual. So, as many of you know, I love ice cream, right? And um, uh, I'm walking by the, the freezer in my daughter's home, and I open it up, and I see two boxes of ice cream, one on top of the other, and the, the box on top really, really looks good. It just looks like a great box, and I figure it's an ice cream box, and I figure whatever in there is in there has to be really good, because it was very, just just a great looking box. It just spoke to me of good ice cream, all right? And the one beneath it just looked like your typical Walgreens kind of box, so I just forget that. So I sit down, my wife says, do you want ice cream? And I said, yes, I'd like some ice cream. I want whatever's in the box on the top. And she said, do you want uh, cookie dough or vanilla? Now I have, uh, I kind of really like cookie dough. I said, I just want whatever's in the, in the top. She goes, do you want cookie dough or vanilla? And I said, I just want whatever is in the top box. My daughter's observing all this. She goes, stop your bickering, all right? And I'm like, and, and she's just like, do you want cookie dough or vanilla? And I said, I just want whatever is in the top box. Not that loud, but... Uh, You know, and and I'm just like, you know, woman, just give me whatever is in the top box. Let's see, my wife, it doesn't think the way I do, right? She's logically minded. And she knows that if she takes the top box out and there's like mint ice cream in there, which I detest, then I'm going to say, oh, I want what's in the bottom box. And so she's just, you know, that's how she's, and I, oh man, it was, what a silly thing to argue about. Anybody else do that besides me? All right. And, you know, that's how it is. We have misunderstandings in our relationships, right? And that can get us in big trouble. All right. Number two, uh, the death zone of me, of me, moi, me. All right. And the way that works is in relationships, I'll do something for you. But my expectation is if I do this for you, you'll what? You'll do that for me. Now, I want to ask the students here because I remember this when I was, was, was a student. Um. Do you guys ever do something out of the ordinary for your parents because you want something from them? Yes, all right. That's what I thought, okay? And how do you feel when you do that, like clean your room up or whatever it is you do, and they don't give you anything back? How do you feel? Parents, you hear that? You see what you're doing to your children? Making them feel sad and bad, right? Okay? How many of you married folks, husband and wife, how many of you folks do something, you know, you'll do something nice. How many men do something nice for your wife and in reality you're hoping for something in return? Let me hear an amen. All right. Yeah. And you ladies, how many of you sometimes do something really nice for your husband hoping to get something in return? Amen, right? And how many of you have ever experienced the frustration of not getting anything in return on either side? Yes, right? And And you see that's just not what it means to love if I do something for you in order to get something back am I really loving you what am I doing I am manipulating you I'm manipulating you all right third death zone all right third death zone is the death zone of mistakes how many of you know somebody that's ever made a mistake <clears throat> and it's you all right we all make mistakes right Not only do we make mistakes, but we do wrong things. Let's not just call it mistakes. Some of us actually sin, right? How many of you students sin? Let me see your hands. I can't believe it. Church kids sinning. Oh, what's this world coming to? Anyway, it happens, right? It happens to us. We sin. And when we sin in relationships, what does it do? Causes hurt. Causes pain. Causes friction. And you know what? It's like a wound. If the wound's not treated, it it can... Get pretty seriously infected and cause a lot of pain, and the Bible calls that the Bible calls that bitterness. And there's a passage that talks about that uh, in the Bible about about how we have to be careful of bitterness. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Let's read it aloud together. On the screen, ready? Aloud together. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Now, let's just stop there and look at this for just a minute, all right? He says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. In other words, in a relationship, I'm supposed to be thinking about you, right? I'm supposed to think about your well-being, your growth, your love, God's grace at work in you. Then Paul says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, Don't let bitterness settle into your relationship. Don't become angry, envious, jealous. Because he says that not only it troubles you and affects you, but it corrupts many people around you. Have You ever been around a bitter person? They have a wide circumference of influence, don't they? And they can turn your day sour. They can get you to become bitter as well. Paul says keep short accounts in other words. All right, so here's the question. How do we move through, how do we move through these death zones and have healthy relationships? Once you jot this down? First of all, we move through them by gripping the rope of acceptance. By gripping the rope of acceptance. So my friends over at Vertical Endeavor have lent me some of their stuff here. And uh, they've given me this harness and this rope for this morning. And this is an example, this is an example of what's called belaying. And Blaine's what you saw me do up there with Ben uh, when I was at Vertical Endeavor. In other words, I put this uncomfortable harness on, right? And then I had these carabiners, and he took this rope, and he tied a unique knot in it. And it's, it's uh, run through a pulley system high up on the, on the wall. And then he wears a harness, and he puts it in there and ties a special rope to it or a special knot to it. And then I start climbing. And if I slip along the way, he will be able to stop my fall. Now I was doing really good, I do have a healthy fear of heights okay, I was doing really good up on that wall till the last few feet and I thought to myself, I hope he's not looking at the video camera right now, I hope he's paying attention because I got that, you know that feeling you get when you have a fear of heights that starts that your heel and kind of works its way up your whole back, you know what I'm talking about, those of you who had that, that's just a very uncomfortable feeling, I would never free climb, those folks who free climb are short of a little bit of gray matter, alright, I mean I don't get that right That's a death wish waiting to happen, okay? But it's nice when you know that the other person is hanging on so that if you do slip, if you do slip, you'll be okay. Similarly, in our relationships with one another, we all crave and long for acceptance, don't we? I want to be accepted by my friends. I want to be accepted by my parents. I want to be accepted by my children. I want people to accept me, don't you? And, and, you know, we, that takes a tremendous amount of trust, doesn't it, to be accepted. But when somebody fully accepts you, warts and all, when they fully accept you, there's no more secure feeling. You know that if you slip, they're going to be there with you. I love what it says in Romans chapter 15, 7. Let's read it aloud together. Paul writes, Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. that God will be given glory. Look at that verse for just a minute. How are we supposed to accept each other? The way God accepts us. How does God accept us? Unconditionally. God does not put any condition on accepting us. He loves us as we are. The Bible says in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us on the cross. And so since God has done that for me, I should be able to do that for you. I want you to think about your loved one right now. I want you to think about your friend. If they had... Only 30 days left to live. Would you accept them? Even though they look at life differently than you. Even though they may approach life differently than you. Even though they may have strange habits. Even though they may think differently than you. Even though they may have quirks that kind of irritate you. If you knew they only had 30 days left to live. I bet you, you would ignore a whole lot of those misunderstandings. And you'd accept them as they are, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Well, why don't we do that now? Why don't we learn to accept each other now? I'll talk to you parents for just a minute. You and I have to be careful with our students, with our kids, because they're not us. I know they came from us, but they're not us. And maybe maybe they're not going to grow up to be what you want them to be. You need to accept the fact that that they may be unique and may approach life a little differently. And don't don't try to do what we all try to do to each other. See, what we try to do is not accept one another. In relationships, we try to change one another. Have you noticed that? Why do we try to change people? Because if I can change the people around me and make them more like me, this will be a better world. Won't it? I mean, that's really what's going on inside of us, isn't it? If everybody was like me, if everybody I knew, if my kids and my wife were more like me, we would have the ultimate happy family. Don't you feel that way? I know you do. You won't admit it, but you do. And we spend a lifetime trying to constantly change the other person to act the way we want them to act. And that causes more harm than good, doesn't it? Cause causes more harm than good. That is so selfish when I try to make you the kind of person I think you should be. If you're going to change anybody, change who? Change yourself. Change yourself, you probably will change the other person. They'll be shocked. They'll be surprised. it will influence them. And a lot of us are afraid to be ourselves in front of each other because we know we have faults, don't we? And we're afraid that if we're going to be really honest about who we are, especially in our relationships, and you see my faults and you see my issues, you might not what? You may not accept me. Aren't you glad that God accepts you, faults and all? Aren't you glad he loves you? Aren't you glad that God changes us from the inside out with his character and his person? I think it's a tremendous, wonderful truth. All right. Secondly, we gain traction with loving actions. All right? Another way I move through the death zone is through, is through loving actions. So they gave me these shoes. These ones look more girly than the other ones. But anyway... Um, and they're, and they're very flexible. When I first saw them, I thought to myself, uh, that doesn't look like it could hang on to anything. But it really is kind of sticky, right? Very flexible. Now, when you climb, when you climb walls, when you climb rocks, okay, you, you have to climb a, a little bit at a time. You don't take giant steps up. You find the tiniest little crevice, you put your toe in there, and you get a grip, and you grab something above, and you pull yourself up. And it's one little step at a time. You know the same thing is true in our relationships. It's all about doing little things for each other, up along the pathway, and doing it as we already talked about with any expectation of return. Because the minute I expect something in return, I'm not really, I'm not really loving you. I want you to look at a couple of verses with me that aren't going to be on the screen. First one's found in Philippians chapter two. Would you turn there with me? Philippians chapter two. Let me just read the very end of verse 3 and 4. Paul says, in Philippians 2, rather, he says, in others, he, he says previous to that, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't do anything for yourself. Rather, in humility, in humility, value others above yourselves. Ooh, did you hear that? Students, did you hear that? In humility, value other people over yourself. Husbands, wives, do you hear that? Value others by yourself. Singles, do you hear that? Value others above yourself. Above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In other words, I'm supposed to be thinking about you and your needs and doing things to meet your needs without an expectation that I'm going to get something else back. Now, turn over to the Gospel of John for just a minute. John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, Jesus said, it says about Jesus, verse 1, It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave his, this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, that's who the disciples, including Judas, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And how did Jesus demonstrate his love towards disciples? Remember John 13? He got down and washed their feet. Because that was the custom of the day. No one bothered to wash his feet. They wouldn't wash each other's feet. Because that night they will argue over who's going to sit closest to him. Who's got the highest rank in heaven. So you got a bunch of guys worrying about themselves. And what does Jesus do? He demonstrates what love is. He washes their feet. Even the feet of who? Judas. My friend Han Robinson says, it's really hard to wash the feet when someone's kicking you in the teeth. Sometimes that happens in our relationships, doesn't it? Our kids kick us in the teeth when we're trying to help them and be good to them. Our parents kick us in the teeth. Our spouse kicks us in the teeth. Our friend at school, who we thought was so loyal to us, kicks us in the teeth. And our immediate response is, I'll kick you in the teeth. Our immediate response is, I'll get even with you. I may be passive aggressive, but I'll get even with you for what you did to me. And at that moment, there's no love. And what Jesus is teaching us here, what Paul is teaching us, is that true love does for others without any expectation. And even when that other person doesn't do anything back or does something nasty back to us, it doesn't doesn't negate, it doesn't get rid of our action of love toward them. See, that's when you see God. That's when you see God. So instead of, I'm going to do this for you in hopes that you'll do it back for me, I'm just going to do this for you. I want nothing back. See, how can you do that? We'll talk about it in a minute. Last thing I want you to jot down. In our relationships, we need to be tethered by forgiveness. We need to be tethered by forgiveness. You know, when you're climbing a wall or or up a, a steep cliff, you have these spikes to you, right? And you find a place in rock and you knock that spike in and you put your carabiner on there and your rope and it's got a loop in it, and you climb up, and you put another one in, you climb up, you put another one in, and you climb up. You tether yourself to that mountain. We need to learn in our relationships to tether ourselves to forgiveness, because we're going to make mistakes. We're going to hurt each other. How many of you have ever been hurt in a relationship? Everybody raises their hand, don't they? We've all been there. Some of us have been hurt deeply, badly. Some maybe it's not been so hard, but we've all been hurt doesn't matter if you're young or you're old. We all get hurt. If we're not careful, as we already mentioned, that hurt will turn into bitterness. How do I get past that? I practice forgiveness. I practice seeking forgiveness when I've hurt. And I practice forgiveness by offering it when somebody's offended me. If you knew that the person you love and cared about today only had 30 days left to live, I bet you'd go out of the way to meet their needs and expect nothing back. If you knew that the person you love and cared about was only going to live 30 more days, I think, I think you would make sure nothing exists between you and them. You'd forgive them if there was anything they'd done. You had no issue forgiving them. And you'd make sure that, that they weren't offended by you in any way. You'd ask for their forgiveness. Listen, I've done plenty of funerals in my ministry. And uh, early on, when I first started pastoring, I would do funerals in the community that I lived in for people who didn't have churches. And I'm telling you, I was amazed at how many people at the graveside were still hanging on to bitterness, unresolved, family tension, things that had not been cleared up before mom or dad or son or daughter or friend passed away. If you only had 30 days left to live, you'd clear it up right now, wouldn't you? You know, it says in the book of Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, these powerful words, read them aloud with me. Make allowance for each other's faults. Let's stop there for a minute. When Paul says make allowance for each other's faults, why does he say that? Because he knows we all have faults, right? He says, accept it. You're going to have faults. Let's continue. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. In perfect harmony isn't that a beautiful passage of scripture well worth memorizing paul says to us that we need to forgive each other based on what god's done for us so how is it i can accept you even though you have quirks habits and there's misunderstandings how can i do that i can do that without a problem you know why because god's accepted me and man you talk about some quirks and habits and issues if he's willing to accept me i can accept you i need to minister to your needs Without any expectation of getting something in return. I need to be forgiving towards you. Why? Because Jesus Jesus ministered to me on the cross. He gave his life for me while I was still a rebel. And you know what? He forgives me. Everything. Everything he forgives me. If he can do that for me. If he'll wash my feet while I'm kicking him in the teeth. Oh my goodness. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Every day, I want to get up and I want to put on my 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 robe of love. Paul says, "Clothe yourselves with love. Don't be a porcupine. You ever try to hug a porcupine? But you, I bet you haven't. I mean, that would be very painful if you did. But some of us live with porcupines, don't we? And some of us are the porcupine, aren't we? We need to get rid of our needles. Put on a robe of love that's soft and accepting and comfortable." Was down holding my granddaughter uh, this week, I know you guys are get sick of hearing about my granddaughter, but uh, this is only the beginning. Anyway, I'm uh, just <laughs> A lot of illustrations going to come out of this, all right? But you know what? It's amazing. She's that their little body, you know, skin is so tender and soft that you think, you think, okay. What are we going to dress her in? And what am I wearing? Because I don't want her to get her cheeks all scraped up. You know, do I have the right uh, stuff on? We want it to be soft, right? We want it to be comfortable. We, we think that way about this precious little child, right? Shouldn't we think that way about each other? Shouldn't we think about what's going to be most comfortable? How can it be gentle? How can it be kind? How can I make that person feel loved, feel accepted? It's just simply... It's just simply being Jesus to the other person. It's just simply letting God love them through us. And we can do that because he loves us so much. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. I don't know if there's anybody here this morning who would say, Pastor Dale, hearing about a loving God and his forgiveness and his grace and his capacity, I need that so much in my life today. I'm kind of lonely in a relationship I, I just I don't feel like I have a connection with God wouldn't it be wonderful this morning if you were to give your heart to God could you trust God in your life because I'm here to tell you he, he accepts you and He'll forgive you whatever's in your life your sins He won't hold it against you He'll wipe the slate clean give you a brand new day start So your heads bowed and eyes closed if you're here this morning you've never asked Jesus in your heart would you just raise your hand up to the Lord this morning by way of saying, God, I'm giving my heart today. God bless you. And would you please pray this prayer with me? Just silently where you are. Dear Lord Jesus, I confess to you today that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive my sins. I'm not perfect. Would you come into my heart right now? Thank you for loving me and accepting me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving me. I'm going to be your humble follower. If you prayed that prayer today, when this service is over, would you please come to Guest Center? Would you shake my hand and say, I prayed the prayer. Because I just want to put my arm around you and pray for you and I have a gift I want to give you to help you on your journey. I know that God loves you today and he cares deeply for you now receive him into your heart. Father, thank you for the decisions that were made this morning to accept Jesus. Now, Lord, please be so real, so powerful in their hearts and lives. And God, I pray for us as a church, transform us. The world is just so full of selfishness and, and manipulation, God. I ask you today to just be so real through us, so genuinely real. Help us to truly practice your love and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for the reminder of that very simple song we used to sing when we were kids. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. What a joy and a blessing that is. In Jesus' name. Amen.